This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I've just got to let the cat out. Hang on. All right, Enid. There you go. Go on, then. Hello, and welcome to The Great Indoors. The podcast which reveals everything you ever needed to know about interiors and explains how to make it all really work for you in your home. I'm Sophie Robinson. And I'm Kate Watson-Smythe. And sign up to The Great Indoors Insiders to support the podcast, enjoy ad-free listening bonus content and get first dibs on ticketed events just go to thegreatindoorspodcast.com that's thegreatindoorspodcast.com but before we begin a word from our sponsor Corson Architectural Detail makers of a beautiful collection of coordinating sockets and switches handles and hinges and lighting for both indoors and out now one of the things about designing your home and decorating is that you want it to last a long time. Yes, it's fine to change the wall colour when you get bored, but you want to make sure that the hardware and architectural details are well made and will outlast trends. Corson recognises this, and in addition to using sustainable materials, their collection is kept deliberately tightly curated so you can add to it as your needs change without worrying that products will have been discontinued and dropped off with the seasons. That also means you can spread the cost as you can change switches, sockets and handles room by room rather than worrying that you need to buy the whole lot at once. And it means if you make big changes, I mean I'm currently moving my kitchen from one end of the house to the other, that you can do that and still coordinate all the hardware to what I've already got in place. So all you have to worry about is which finish out of antique brass, polished nickel or bronze you're going to choose. For a closer look at the full range that Corsten has to offer, including all the different finishes, visit corsten.com. That's corsten.com. Now it's time for our regular style surgery where we tackle your design dilemmas. Actually, can I jump in first with my own style dilemma? I need to decide on taps and handles and switches and sockets for my new kitchen. And well, I can't decide. I mean, do I want brass or do I want to go chrome? Oh, it's so interesting, this one, isn't it? I actually was having (laughs) a long conversation with someone about this the other day. I've actually gone bronze on my handles and black with my tap. Bronze is really dark, isn't it? Yes, it's a sort of dark brown. Yes. I went with that and black taps. I kind of thought black went with everything. Um, it does in clothes and it does in hardware (laughs) but it's difficult isn't it because obviously chrome is the classic I've got chrome in my bathrooms um brass is also a classic material but it's been having a bit of a fashion moment Mm. so it's hard to know if you pick brass whether whether you're feeling as if you're being a bit trend-led or if you're you know if you're just 
reverting to a classic. And after years and years of brass being the dominant, you know, everywhere we look, we see brass. Suddenly, I'm hearing that chrome is about to become newly fashionable. Again, it's a classic. So it's really, I don't know. What are you thinking? Gold or silver? I would actually look at what your colour palette is because I think they're very different metallic. So a chrome is quite a cool metallic, I would say. And brass, because it's got gold and yellow in it, is a warm metallic. So this is in regards to my exciting new kitchen that I'm putting in. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to share with you. I'm working with Magnet for my new kitchen, who've got 18 different colours to choose from. Did you know that? <gasps> 18. What, 18 different colours of taps? Cabinets, 18 different cabinets oh. to choose from, door colours. So obviously I'm not going to go for neutral ammo. I'm not looking at, so if you're going to go for a grey, I, I might think that a chrome could look quite nice with that. And, you know, typically if you're going for more of a taupe, then a warmer metal sometimes works. But I'm not going to go for a neutral. I'm going for... Four. Well, I haven't actually completely finalised it, but I think I'm going to go for Harvest Yellow, a kind of chalky pink, and then there might even be a third colour in there. But essentially, they're warm colours, especially the sort of Harvest Yellow. So my inclination from a colour theory point of view is to put a warm metallic with those. A brass or a bronze, I think, would look really nice. But then a chrome would put a more of a contemporary spin on it. So yeah, there's my dilemma. Do I want to buck that theory? Because I'm all for breaking rules, obviously. And a chrome would make those warm colours look fresher. Oh, it's difficult. I mean, I don't know what to say because I did think about brass at one point and it was much more expensive. So I ended up with chrome from a sort of affordability point of view in my last house. Now I think the prices have become more equal and, you know, chrome is back in. So, so you've, got, you've got no advice for me, have you at all? Look at you stuttering, stuttering. She's I'm stuttering, sh- <laughs> I'm stuttering. Because it's got a big implication, right? Because it's not it's not just about choosing my kitchen tap. This is also going to go onto my sockets, my switches, potentially my door handles. But this is where I'm quite excited about Corsten... They do these Perspex light switches, Kate, and they're basically, you know, like the sort of the main pane of your light switch is usually like a big chunk of metal. Yeah, the bit that goes around the plug hole. Yeah, exactly. And my feeling has always been to kind of not make too much of a feature of those. You know, some people go, oh, yeah, I'm going all chrome. I'm going all brass with all my sockets and switches. And I sometimes think they can pop out a bit too much. And for me, I kind of like my hardware to be more of a blend in blend in because usually for me it's the it's the whiz bang showy wallpapers so ofs in my new kitchen I'm having a whiz bang fabulous wallpaper of course I am and the idea that I can then get these light switches that are based on perspex means the pattern will show through the perspex and they will almost disappear I'm sorry, I'm finding that beyond thrilling. No, I think that's really clever. And I think they come with the template. So actually, even if you haven't got whiz-bang wallpaper, you can just paint this template that sits behind the clear perspex plate. So you can paint it in the same paint as your wall. Mm. And then you've just literally got the switch. I think that's quite clever. You see, I went the other way. So in my bedroom, I've got, I mean, you won't think it's whiz-bang wallpaper because it's only got two colours in it. I think it's quite whiz bangy. <laughs> it's quite an intricate kind of floral pattern. But I felt, because it's a sort of old-fashioned floral pattern, that it might look a bit granny. So I went for brass switches to kind of add a bit of punk metal to it, if you like, Mm. and make it look a bit more contemporary that way. So what's interesting is that you can now make that choice between making all the sort of functional bits of switches and sockets 
disappear, so it's all about the wallpaper, or kind of adding a bit of edge to it by choosing a metal, in my case, bronze switch to my sockets to make them stand out. Yeah, exactly. Do you want them to be the design feature or do you want them to blend away? Or, and then this is the next question, do you need all your hardware to match throughout the house? So if you go, if you go for bronze... Can you then have chrome in the bathroom, brass in the bedroom? I mean, clearly you have. Well, I think you can mix a couple of metals. I think you've just got to pick which ones they are. Mm. Um, So it's interesting, isn't it? Because there's always been a sort of you can't necessarily have chrome and brass, gold and silver. But actually, in terms of jewellery, people do mix the two now. That's a kind of more modern way of doing it. And also, it's not always practical to have everything in either silver or gold. So in my house, we've had to replace all the windows and we had a choice of window fittings, which was either brass or chrome. So we've gone for brass because, as you say, in my colour palette, that kind of warmer yellow works. The warmer metal, yeah. But I think that also works with bronze. So I've mixed those metals there to kind of have them differently. Um, And I don't know, there was something about... I felt that chrome window fittings felt very very modern and my windows are Victorian replicas so it felt like it ought to be brass which has slightly more of a retro feel to it I think you've just got to pick your colours and try and be as consistent as you can and that's actually where the clear ones might be really helpful to you because you're not introducing another element you're just blending those away. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's a really interesting topic. I remember once, I think it was Michelle Gunderhen, we talked to her about mixing metals. And she said, um, you can mix two quite comfortably, but be careful of doing it in very small spaces. So for example, bathrooms, downstairs loos, things like that. It's best to keep to one metal because you're in a, a small space, it can look confusing. But in a larger open plan space, it's not such a problem. I can hear F and J. I was about to say, can you hear the guinea pig? If anybody else can hear, I can hear them. Um, So so that's that's as well. You're right in a small room and sometimes it can just be easier to go for the for the most common one because you can get all the extra bits of it i mean people do spray them now but in your kitchen your new kitchen which is such a huge space and i think we'll always have a kind of it's not going to have a living room feel to it as such but it was your living room it's a big room so maybe the brass feels a bit more in keeping with a sort of grander big room than a small practical kitchen. Yeah, well, I've got to make my mind up. I've got all my... I think it's a really good idea to at least think about it, right? I think the thing is, is what we're saying is is chrome is no longer the default, which it used to be. You can now get all the light fittings, all the switches, all the sockets, all the taps, all the door handles in all the different finishes. I suppose headliners think about it and do try and create some kind of symphony between your metallics. Oh, a symphony of metallics. I like it. So they all play together. That's enough of your dilemma now. Yeah, sorry about that. This is not your show. I mean, it is your show. This is not not all about you. So now we are going to now throw it open to our listeners. So first up, we've got Amy. Hi, guys. I was hoping I might be able to pick your brains about whether or not it's okay to use curtains in internal doorways. The reason being I'm downsizing from a warm but ugly 80s new build into a very drafty listed Georgian terrace. So I listened to episode 89 from last November, I think it was, about energy saving and I'm going to put shutters at the windows that I can't change and Um, rugs on the floorboards and things like that but I was really interested to know your opinion on the doorways because previous occupants have 
definitely removed some of them to either maximize the space in a particular room or to improve the flow because it's very narrow and so I was thinking instead of replacing those doors in order to keep the warmth in and to make it look nice I could potentially use some of the curtains I'm going to have from the bigger house however I haven't seen anyone really do that since my granny had one over the front door when I was a child so is that okay or Will it look gross? I'm sure I could make it look okay. I'd really appreciate your advice. Thank you so much. I'm interested in this question because I'm all over the internal curtain. Oh, I thought you would be. Yes, I really fancy it. We are putting one between the kitchen and the hall because, as Amy mentioned, it's about the flow. There isn't a space for the door to open. If it opens into the kitchen, it's going to hit the fridge or the boiler. And if it opens into the hall, it's going to hit the stairs and the cupboard under the stairs. So I am going for a curtain. I'm going to make, a, I'm going to make it a double-sided curtain. It's going to be velvet on one side and a print on the other side. And the point of that is that when it's open, it will take up much less space because, as you know, I'm a massive fan of a sliding door, always putting sliding doors in to save space and help with flow. But in this particular arrangement, there's nowhere for a door to slide to. So a curtain, when pushed back, will not take up very much space. So I'm I'm all over that. <laughs> Curtains inside front doors. Why not? It's like going into a into a very sexy French restaurant. <laughs> yeah! it is isn't it you see them a lot in Paris don't you door curtains you're so right I agree I'm on the same page because for me it's another opportunity for a lovely fabric one thing to think about though with these door curtains is the weight of them and you can buy weighted uh, you can buy weights to go in the bottom of the curtain so they hang nice and heavy because if you think about when I think about door curtains that I've seen in Paris and places like that they're usually really thick heavy velvet so they don't blow and billow around or you don't get caught up in them. So I think you do want your door curtains to be quite substantial, interlined, weighted or made out of a heavy fabric. Absolutely right. I mean, we mentioned that when we spoke about shower curtains, didn't we, a few weeks ago? And you get that billow from a shower curtain and it's to do with the pressure from inside and out. Exactly. So get some weights and just stick those along the hem and then it will hang nicely. When it's pulled to one side, it will drop straight dead straight down one side and when it's open it will be a much better draft excluder you might even want to tie back oh look stop me now stop me now who's next (laughs) (laughs) this next one is not a question but it's a tip related to curtains let's hear from becca i was catching up on the last couple of episodes while altering some very basic ikea curtains with a new header tape i've shortened them so they fit the windows I just want them to blend in, so I bought something cheap. But what I have done on a number of occasions, which I thought your listeners might be interested in, is I've bought designer fabrics, like offcuts from eBay, from the Haynes Collective, etc., and have bought also a lampshade making kit and have um, made my own lampshades to go on fairly basic lamps. They look really bespoke and um, really glamorous. You can pimp them up again with trimmings and things like that. I'll send you a couple of pictures. But just another tip for your listeners that actually you can get some really good bargains off secondhand websites um, to make things like bespoke lampshades. And I've also made cushions out of them as well. 
Really enjoy the pod. Thanks so much. That's a really good tip, Becca. And I think it's interesting, that idea of buying some maybe plain or cheaper curtains and then zhuzhing it all up a bit with a lampshade or a cushion so you can still get a bit of colour and pattern in there in a more affordable way. And I'm loving the whole frugality of the whole thing as well. I think that's great. I'm always, I'm always here for a bit of designer fabric. Great tip, Becca. Next, let's hear from Abby. This is what she wrote in to ask us. My partner and I bought a lovely semi-detached 1920s cottage two years ago and we had big ideas for knocking down the cheaply built lean-to, which is off the back of our kitchen. The idea was to replace it with a lovely orangery-style room with skylights. The current, in inverted commas, lean-to has one solid wall on the left, which is the wall of the garage, and the other right is a horrid plastic wall, which creaks when you close the door or when it's windy. This wall and the grotesque corrugated plastic roof offended me so much it really, really embarrasses me. The issue is we are getting married this year, so available money is very limited and we will be here for quite a few years. How would you make this horrible room a little less horrible? My ideas so far have been to cover the plastic wall in some form of panelling or plasterboard over it to make it look like a real wall. Might also help retain a tiny bit of heat in the winter, although I understand most of it disappears through the roof anyway, or to paint at least the frame and the window and the door. Oh, Abby, creaky plastic lean-to. This is tricky, isn't it? Because I have spoken about keeping my extension at the back, which wasn't very well built, but it was built out of brick, although not very insulated. (laughs) Um, I'm in a plastic lean-to. I totally get there's not enough money in the budget if you're getting married to knock it down and start again. I'm going to throw this to you because you're married to a builder. (laughs) (laughs) Exit, Kate Watson's mine. (laughs) Yeah, exit stage left. Pursued by insulation Spotlight tape. on me. Well, listen, I mean, Abby, in a similar way, I've had to put up with a bit of a nasty, ugly plastic conservatory that I really, really hated. And in a similar position, not that I'm getting married anytime soon, we had plans to knock it down and build it and we're having to make do. And actually painting the plastic has been a massive game changer for us. So just getting rid of that shiny, plasticky look really, really helps. And you can do this with a all-surface primer first and then you can top coat it in any colour you like. Um, It's not going to get rid of your creakiness when it's windy or when you open the door, though. It's not going to make it warm, is it? We've still currently got that problem with our conservatory, actually. It's absolutely roasting when it's hot and it's freezing when it's cold and... You know, yes, I could get the roof replaced, but that's expensive. I could get custom blinds made, but they're turning out to be really expensive. Yeah. So it is a little bit of a kind of make do until the funds materialise, which I'm sure they will for you in the future. You used to talk about staying in the house for a long time. So I think you should get your eyes on the prize of replacing this or remodelling it, as Kate said, in proper materials at some point. And in the meantime, just don't spend too much money on it. I'm a real fan of kind of the art of of disguise and distraction. So I would almost wonder whether you want to just make this room a little magical. I don't know whether it's filling it with loads of plants, whether it is putting this panelling on the wall, but maybe painting an incredible mural on there or getting a patterned wallpaper up there. Just make it like 
fabulous and so it's because i have seen the picture and it does look like a plastic box currently it's a styling job this one isn't it's it? it's a styling job so i would look at dressing it i think you should get the 70s manchester book that we talked about on last week's episode <laughs> the 70s house and just make it into some little quirky garden room that's what I'd do. I wonder if, to come back to Amy's first question, if it's really cold, whether you could make some curtains, floor-to-ceiling curtains. They don't have to be in velvet, which would be quite expensive, but you could perhaps buy some ready-made curtains or some curtains from Ikea and perhaps sew a thermal lining onto them. You can buy thermal lining. It's not expensive. I've seen it on Amazon, for example. And if you had those, so obviously in winter when it's dark anyway, you could draw them all along the plastic wall and hide it and make it kind of cosy and use it with lamps. And then in the summer... When it's warm and really hot, you can just draw them back and reveal the roasting plastic or it might, you know, because you'll need the natural light. But I mean, that that may be one option to kind of, you know, a wall yeah. of fabric. Yeah, I think that's it. Try to resist spending too much making a silk purse out of a sow's ear, as my mother would say. And um, maybe have some fun styling yeah. it for the short term because it's never going to be a room that you can use all year round. A bit like my conservatory, actually. Um, it's always going to be a bit of a fair weather friend. Style it out. And then, you know, when you finish paying for the wedding and you've done the next thing, then look at potentially rebuilding it. Or, as we've spoken about several times, look at the space you've got already, which is properly built and part of the house, and work out if you actually need it. Do you need to use that space with the space you've got already in the house? Maybe you could decide in a year or two that you might knock it down and put a pergola over it and something that's a lovely outdoor space yeah. if you don't need it indoors. Or the other thing which I've spoken about is this idea of building a greenhouse which doesn't need planning permission. It's not the same as a conservatory, so it would not be too hot in the summer. You can grow things in it, would make a nice place to sit in. So have a look at the other options, but particularly look at the space you've got and see if you really need this or if it might work better as part of your garden. Yeah, that's great advice. And yeah, live in your house. That's what I've learned. Live in the house before you spend too much money and then you'll understand how you want to use it. Right, next question. We have a follow-up from Frances and some of you may remember her question about what to paint her listed shutters and we didn't know if they were solid shutters or louvered and she's come back. Many thanks for featuring my dilemma over shutter colour in your podcast. Your input was so helpful toward my decision making. They will be painted the same colour on both sides. And I'm sorry for not explaining the type of shutter. They are traditional, wooden, folding, panelled. I'll be sure to send you all a picture when they're painted and rehung. In the meantime, she says, I have another question. I'm having a shaker kitchen installed using only base units with a single open shelf above. Is there an optimum height for the shelf? I'm also unsure of what the depth should be. The shelf is mainly for show items, so the most important aspect is that it looks good. I really don't want to get this wrong and end up having to move it, having drilled deep holes into a pristine, freshly plastered wall. Thank you so much for your help. Your informative and entertaining podcasts have been invaluable for steering me through our whole house renovation, which at times feels totally overwhelming. Oh, thank you, Francis. Oh, well, Francis, I'm straight on Google. Font for knowledge. And I think... <laughs> They're saying it's around 18 inches, 45 centimetres. This is interesting because I think you get a lot of 
sort of standard measurements and measurements you should have with kitchens. And they, they do depend on you and how tall you are. <laughs> you know, how long are your arms? How high can you reach? I remember, and I wrote about this on the blog, there's a measurement uh, uh, you're supposed to, when you build a kitchen island, all the websites will tell you that the standard depth between the island and the units behind it, I think is one metre 20. And when I was designing my last kitchen where we had an island, one metre 20 was too much for me. We're not very tall, I'm, I'm five foot six. And I found that that was involving a step to get from my hob to my sink. So I reduced it to 110, which was perfect for me because it was then a pivot. So while it might tell you that 45 centimetres, 18 inches, is the optimum height for a shelf, I do think you need to consider how tall you are, how often you need to bring things down from the shelf and work out you might want it a bit lower or a bit higher, that might suit you. That is exactly what I did with my, I've got a kitchen shelf. And when Tom was hanging it, I stood there. Yours is quite high. It's 50, it's 50. And I definitely did it by eye. So it's a kitchen shelf above my main worktop. And it's where we keep all our kind of like tea, coffee. It's got everything, you know, to hand. And I wanted something that, meant that I could just grab stuff really easily. And I decided 50 centimetres was it. And I didn't think it looked that high, actually. Because the other thing I'd say you've got to think about, Francis, is the height of your ceilings. Because we've got quite low ceilings in our kitchen. So I think proportionally as well, you have to look at the height of your ceiling as well. When Because she's doing this as for a display place rather than really very practical. So I think if you've got a high ceiling, you might go a bit higher with your shelf potentially. Yeah. Or if you're a short person, you might bring it a bit down if you actually need to grab the stuff that's on there. I think 45 centimetres, 18 inches will be where the standard, if you're having wall units, would fit. And that will have been decided by somebody that that gives you enough space for a tap. You know, you've got to have your tap and have room for it. And then your base units are going underneath where you might want LED lighting or something like that. So you're not going in for that because you're having a single display shelf. But that's where that measurement will have come from. And bear in mind as well, you don't want to go too low. When we had open shelves in the last kitchen, we have one of those coffee machines you put pods in and... We acquired that after we'd built the shelves and we realised that if the coffee machine was pushed under the shelves and stored, that we couldn't lift it up to put the pods in. So we had to pull it forward. Mm. So just make sure that you know what you're putting on your worktop and does it need to lift or open or, you know, have easy access to it and go higher than that. And then again, be able to just pull things off the shelf and re reach easily for them and whether they're mugs or pots of coffee or storage jars or something. One other thing that is a, on a bit more serious to think about is if you're putting a shelf above a cooking area like a hob, there are regulations around that and it can't be any lower than 60 centimetres. When it comes to the depth, again, this is totally up to you. In our last house, we had 30 centimetres, which I think was too much, although it stored a dinner plate very comfortably. So you need to, again, think about what you're putting on there. If you've got serving platters on there, which are big, they look great, but they're big and they're heavy, you might need a wider shelf. Then you need to get into, is that going to cast a shadow on the worktop below? So, Or you maybe store your serving platters somewhere else and just have dessert plates or nice pots on that shelf you have said it's for display so there are no rules with the depth of the shelf you just need to have a little think about what you're putting on the shelf 
and how wide it needs to be to get that in there. Because it's, it'd be nothing more annoying than going, oh, I'll have a 25 centimetre shelf and discovering that half the things you want to put on it are 27 centimetres and they hang over the edge because that's no good. Oh, dear. I do I do feel for uh, Frances. I feel like we've given her a little bit more to think about than perhaps she'd bargained for. I'm going to sum it up. Make sure you can reach easily and get your biggest pot on it. And my tip would be to do what I did and just get your builder to hold up, hold up a piece of wood and go, does that look right? Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, stick it there. Yeah, that's basically my... Yeah, my I pr- think that's really key that I was trying to find a pithy way to say it and I can't, but there's no substitute. <laughs> there's no substitute for just having a look. Don't worry about the instruction book. Trust your eye. You know, and if you if you are by, you know, six foot seven, my builder's six foot seven. And I noticed that he was the one that fixed the shower rail in our new bathroom. And it's really tall. It was really borderline whether the shower curtain was going to be long enough because he's fixed a shower curtain for someone who's six foot seven. Oh, my goodness. Love that. (laughs) But, you know, if you are six foot seven, you can have a taller shelf. Right, let's go to Helen. Oh, I love this one. Oh, I love this one from Helen. This is so good. So Helen wrote in um, following our last star surgery, which was all about cream and beams, I seem to remember. And she says she received her listed Property Owners Club magazine. That's right. Issue 147 for March, April 2023. And lo, there was an article about painting of beams in cottages. And she says, Sophie will be pleased to read that years ago, people painted their houses as bright as possible. I think the word garish was used and that the black and white cottage model was down to Victorian tastes. Anyway, she attaches a photo of the said article for our enjoyment. So this is what the article said. Should timber cottages really be black and white? Most timber frame buildings were never originally black and white in the way they often are today. The tradition of painting timbers with tar-based black paint developed in the 1700s and was enthusiastically continued by the Victorians. When timber buildings were first built, good quality timbers would be left exposed, either to weather naturally to a silver-brown colour or more frequently they'd be lime-washed with the rest of the panelling to provide weatherproofing and fill small cracks in the timber fabric. Buildings with less impressive timbers may have been covered over entirely with lime render, which was then painted. Rendering is the term for coating the outside of a wall with mortar. Plastering is coating an internal wall with mortar. Wall panels wouldn't be painted bright white, an outcome of modern standardised paints, but rather some shade of cream to pink to orange to yellow, depending on local stone pigments and the owner's preference. People would have made their houses as brightly coloured as they could afford, and they may have looked quite garish to modern sensibilities. The gentle heritage paint shades common in villages now are as much a product of modern fashion as black and white painted cottages were a product of Victorian fashions. I love that. As garish as the owners could manage. That's great. I know. Isn't that brilliant? So there you go. Anybody struggling with cream and beam, get out the colours. I'm also just going to say that uh, Helen finishes her message to say, P.S. My Kate, my son, is also a Virgo and he is not tidy, not tidy at all. Glad he now has his own flat. Still not tidy. Enough said. And I will say my Virgo is not very tidy, but he's very specific about where he wants things to be. (laughs) To my eyes, it looks like an unholy mess. To him, he can find anything and it's all in order. So that's the Virgo is the control (laughs) of the space, but not necessarily in what other people might call tidy. Now, before we wrap up this week's show, I just want to highlight that this is going to be an extended bonus 
episode for subscribers to the Great Indoors Podcast Insiders. So if you have subscribed, we're going to continue answering more questions, giving you even more content. So if you do want to hear this extended episode, then simply sign up at thegreatindoorspodcast.com. That's thegreatindoorspodcast.com. Membership also gets you first dibs on tickets for upcoming live events. And soon we will have news of a very exciting trip to Italy. (laughs) I cannot wait to share that with those guys. It's going to be so amazing, so amazing. Anyway, in the meantime, you can follow me on Sophie Robinson Interiors and Kate's Mad About the House over on Instagram. And if you have any design dilemmas, then please do email us or better still, send us a voice note to help at thegreatindoorspodcast.com. In the meantime, you can follow me on Mad About the House and Sophie at Sophie Robinson Interiors. All that remains is for us to thank our lovely sponsors, Corsten Architectural Detail, and our producer, Sarah Cadden of Feast Collective. And we'll see you in the great indoors. Sophie's gone. I'm just feeding Jeff so he doesn't keep squeaking at me. <laughs> He's hungry, bless him. That's what that is. I haven't fed him today. There we go.